I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. I'm Ben Easter. I'm here with my lovely wife, Paige Easter. And we are today, we're talking about, uh, oh man, one of my favorite Disney movies, uh, which I forget how much I love it, but it's Beauty and the Beast. Doing a deep dive on the themes of freedom and Beauty and the Beast. This was a lovely movie to watch with you the other night, Paige. Yeah, it was really nice to revisit it as an adult. And I feel like I watched it and I felt this profound sense of appreciation for the beauty of that movie. Like aesthetically, it's really like quite remarkable. And so it was like delightful visually as an experience, but also the story was, uh, it was another one where we found ourselves crying like quite sweetly. Um, I think for me, it was particularly like the, like love. Just like the sweet, sweet love of that story is so good. Yeah, it's really nice. So um, we'll do a quick recap as usual. Um, so we begin with, uh, well, we begin the story with the the castle being cursed. So there we have this, the archetype of the the masquerading divinity, this, this old beggar lady comes, she's cold, she's hungry. Please, can you, you know, sustain me for the night? And he turns her away. How dare you come to my castle? This is the prince. And she curses him and the whole castle because he was so um, selfish and unkind. And <clears throat> so the castle's cursed. All the all the servants are transformed into objects. He is transformed into a monstrous beast. Uh, so his inside reflects his outside, so, or his outside reflects his inside rather. Um, then we cut away to the the vi- the lovely little village, and we hear bells sung. Uh, this uh, provincial tris- life? Provincial life. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Which we, so we have her main archetype. She's trying to get out of this provincial life that she's got. And she, her head is always in the books and the townsfolk think that she's quite odd. And then, um, we have some rising action because her father, who is this crackpot inventor that everybody kind of sniggers at is, uh, has invented a wood chopping machine. He's going to take it to the fair and he's going to make their fortunes. And he gets, he gets turned around sort of, he's doddering. He doesn't really know his way around the world and he gets lost. And stumbles upon the castle, seeks shelter from the storm and the wolves, and then he is caught. But the servants are kind to him, but then the, the master of the house, the beast, comes and throws him into prison. So then Belle goes and she tries to find her father. She makes a deal with the beast to trade her own life for her father. So father gets uh, left. Uh, he gets uh, ejected from the castle sort of without even a goodbye. And she takes his place as a slave. And there's a lot of tension in the beginning. Uh, meanwhile, Gaston is 
back in the village is tr- his only goal is, and he is this sort of like, you might call this quintessential sort of, uh, archetypal masculine figure, you know, very strong, very handsome, very fierce. Presumptuous. <laughs> very presumptuous. <laughs> yeah. A bit rapey. Uh, he's, a bit rapey. He, he is convinced that she is going to marry him whether or not he asks her. So, um, so that's going on. Um, she leaves, she goes to the castle. She becomes this, this prisoner there's a lot of tension between Bell and the Beast. Obviously, he's monstrous. He's fierce. He's, you know, aggressive. He's very um, controlling. Unrefined. Unrefined. <laughs> and uh, and then they have they have dinner. It doesn't go well. He invites her to. He says you must come to dinner. Like he does the same thing that Gaston does. It's really very interesting. Um, and then. She's like, no, I'm not coming to dinner. And he's like, fine, if you don't eat with me, you don't eat at all. And then the the servants take pity on her. They feed her. He says, but you, you can, you have free reign of the castle, but you must not go to the West Wing. The West Wing, of course, is where the cursed rose exists and the mirror that lets you see into the any anything that you want to see in the world. Um, and then we have uh, what, what's what's next? So the she escapes the castle. The beast shows up and saves her from all these wolves because she's attacked by wolves and he takes damage in the, in the fight, fights them all off and then collapses. Somehow she gets his heavy ass on the horse <laughs> and, and brings him back to the castle. And then now she's, she's tender because he has, he has saved her mm. and now she sees that there is some kind of goodness in him and they start this whirlwind romance and all of a sudden, uh, they're like playful, and then we hear the oh, the beautiful song. The, uh, there must be something there that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Where um, <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a beautiful song. They have like a snowball fight, and um, they're just like it's just a really beautiful. It's like a montage love story that's happening between them. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the, her father has come back to the town. And he has sort of told everybody about this monstrous beast that exists and that has stolen Bell. And they all laugh at him. They, you know, they don't believe him. Um, how does, oh, but then how does Gaston, Gaston, oh, goes and hires the, um, the insane asylum, the insane guy. asylum guy, this very archetypally evil, uh, only about the money guy to, to take, mm-hmm. uh, the the father to awaits the insane asylum and in and he can stop it from happening if only bell will agree to marry him so that's the the kind of plan so then uh bell checks on her father with the mirror sees that this is happening and then goes back um to to free him and Mm -hmm. then she confirms that the beast is actually true for everyone with the mirror she keeps the mirror the the beast says a very heart heartbreaking goodbye to her because he knows his time is up, but he didn't tell her Um, because if the rose, you know, if the last petal of the rose falls, he stays, the the curse stays forever. She goes back. She tries to save her father. Obviously Gaston, you know, he says, you know, you, if you only you marry me, she says, you're disgusting. She says, no, I can prove that the beast exists. She, she holds up the mirror to everyone. And now instead of, everyone accepting that they were wrong about this. They sort of like Gaston rabble rouses them into a, a crowd, a, an angry mob and they're going to go siege the castle. <clears throat> so they do that and they're fought off by all of the, it was a really funny scene, which is crazy because mm-hmm. it's violent, very violent, but they fight off, fight them off and they all flee. Meanwhile, Gaston is there to kill the beast. They have a fight. 
the beast uh, kind of is at this point, he's so despondent. He's given up <clears throat> all hope and he's just going to let Gaston kill him. And then bell appears at the very last second. And then that he marshals his, his forces and, you know, sort of defeats Gaston, uh, but he's going to let him survive. But then Gaston sort of goes to a, attack him. He stabs him one last time in the kidney. It looks like he's not going to really make it. And then Gaston gets flung off into the, you know, the, the, the chasm into the abyss. Yeah. And then we have, uh, bell finally admits that she loves the beast. That's what breaks the spell and conquers sort of his death even. And everybody comes back and then we have, they live happily ever after all the servants transform back into the people. And we live happily ever after. So really beautiful story. It's classic archetypal uh, tale as old as time song as old as rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) I was just reflecting right before we recorded this podcast, how whatever Disney movie we've most recently watched, our house will be full of one or the other of us singing little bits of the songs from that movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really love the soundtrack for this one too. It's really super good. Yeah. Um, so let's talk, let's talk about some of the themes. I think, um, you know, the obvious one is beauty is only skin deep, mm. uh, beauty and beast, uh, the idea that, you know, a monstrous facade can hold a very sweet interior. Um, but I think there's some more going on here. Uh, you know, we were talking before the episode about maybe the, one of the, the archetypal themes here is about the transformation of the masculine. Like mm-hmm. a, a new kind of masculine comes mm-hmm. on the scene, right? Because we have, yeah. we have Gaston who is, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the phrase toxic masculinity, but if there were anyone that it was ever <laughs> going to apply to, it would be Gaston for sure. Yeah. Very, uh, you know, it's the arrogance. It's his, it's his complete focus on his strength. When I was a boy, I ate four dozen eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Help me grow up big and large. Yeah, Um, I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, kind of this, the ending moment of the movie where kind of the beast wins in a way and gets to survive and Gaston goes down a chasm forever. And I think that it's kind of a symbolic, like these symbols are just representations of like where we are as like a psyche, like as individuals, but also as a society. And I think that it's representative of kind of a, a welcoming in or like a currying in of a different, like not so much focus on an unbalanced focus on the masculine. When it goes too far and becomes like Gaston and it's very like single pointed focus and very like strength and um, maybe control even versus a more tempered masculine. That's something more like the tenderness of the beast when he's trying to woo Belle and kind of introducing a little more like femininity into the mixture and then like how beautiful that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and you see Gasson navigates the world through violence. He's, mm-hmm. He decorates primarily in horns and, he, you know, uh, LeFou. He's always, like, hitting LeFou. And yeah, he's always... Joking you know, at, at LeFou's expense. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very, like, um, it's very violent and sort of uh, antisocial in a very mm. real way. Um, and then we have, on the other hand, we have the Beast. And I think, I think what the... I, I love this idea of like the feminine sort of tempering the masculine. And that, that is like mm-hmm. kind of the evolution that happens to do, through the story. 
is that we see as, you know, because the beast has a very soft, tender heart. It's represented by the rose, the rose mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that represents his ability to find love, you know, and it's wilting. And, you know, the curse will stay, the, the masculine, sort of the, the aggressive, beastly masculine will stay if it, do- if it does not find its capacity to love mm-hmm. in the time that it takes for the rose to die, you know? So I think that what the rose represents is, is the masculine's ability to find the feminine and come into balance with the feminine. And it's hidden away in the West Wing. And you have free reign of the castle, but don't go to the West Wing because that's the one place where you're not allowed. And that is like his heart center mm-hmm. that's there, right? And also it's the part that lets him there in the West Wing is the part that lets him see into the outside world mm-hmm. as well. So that is like, it's his like, it, it represents his clarity as well. Like mm-hmm. the mirror, his reflection on himself. Uh, and it's all hidden away. And so then we find as he starts to um, have this, this woman, but symbolic feminine in the mm-hmm. castle, in his domain, and he starts to soften to her. And look, he's so what the transformation moment I think is really interesting because it's when he goes and uses his masculine force and aggression to protect the feminine. Right. So it's like when he goes out and he saves her from the wolves, that's when we have the transformation moment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like, you know, she doesn't mind having a beast as long as the beast is on her side. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this is the positive use of the masculine is where it's actually yeah. being in protection of mm-hmm. something that's can't protect itself from the wolves mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I want to pause just for a second here and create a really clear distinction or delineation. It's something we've talked about in previous episodes. Uh, just our use of masculine feminine being distinct from male, female, and that Mm. it's not prescriptive. So we're not saying like all women need to be protected by a man. That's not what we're (laughs) talking about. Cause I think all of us have varying degrees of distribution of masculine and feminine within us. And so I think even if we think about within ourself, I think we can have kind of imbalance of masculine feminine. And then that can manifest in our own personal life in certain ways, similar to this, relationship that bell and beast are navigating in this story mm-hmm. yeah and i in fact i think that is that is what this story is about is about coming to find the archetypal <clears throat> balance between masculine and mm-hmm. feminine in our society in our relationships mm-hmm. in ourselves yeah because you you can see that that is actually what um what makes what makes the rising action happen that beast is lovable to bell is that he does he finds his feminine Mm-hmm. side he, that bashful kind of like yeah. play, playful you know tender like, tender like emotional yeah. yeah exactly like that happens where he's like nervous he's like he's yeah. like you know and he, and he puts away the like the gruff facade yeah where they like they do all of his hair into curls and bows and like <laughs> you look and he says stupid <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> But that he's willing to do all that stuff, you know, is, is like what sort of represents his, his transforming essence. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to inject a little history that I happened to stumble upon while I was kind of doing some thinking and research for this, uh, for this podcast. Um, there's one of the people who worked on this movie, his name was Howard Ashman and he was a lyricist for like, um, Little Mermaid, and he was really instrumental in the creation of this story. But he was, during the making of this movie, dying of AIDS. 
And he was a big influence for this was one of the first times where they not just highlighting the princess, but bringing the story of the beast. And it was uh, like metaphorical for um, Howard Ashman being kind of socially excluded because of this disease he was dying from and not being able to share it. And so I just wanted to inject like a little like like what was actually going on in the making of the story and as like kind of how what that represents for us in our society and even for our individual psyche. Interesting. Yeah, because we see in the in the movie, even though we know as the watcher, obviously we're kind of swept up in the 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 monstrous nature of the beast as well. And like you look, he's not doing himself any favors. <laughs> yeah. He's very aggressive and he you yeah. know imprisons her father or whatever. Um, but we can see as the, as the watcher that he does have that soft, tender side and you never get to see that. And then when the villagers, it's very understandable that the villagers yeah. sort of siege the castle because there's a beast in their midst and they're scared for what mm-hmm. might happen, right? It's like, yeah. it's not a, you know, it's not a, an inhuman response that, that might happen. It's just, we happen to know ironically that he does have a soft side and that he's not this monstrous, mm-hmm. uh, or he's not only this monstrous being, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I think that there's something to dissect around the concept of shame also. I, cause I really took away Belle's character walking through this village, kind of oblivious, ready for more people are kind of judging her and not oblivious because she goes back to her dad not, a, not, says, not oblivious yeah yeah no not oblivious i mean oblivious in the sense of like people are having these judgments about her and she doesn't really care um so oblivious isn't the right word well, she doesn't but, let her change it let it change her in yeah way. and yeah. and so i think like as she's kind of navigating through this world i am noticing like her lack of shame around it and then comparing that to the beast of this like shame and this is terrible and I have to hide and I have to lock myself up and nothing's ever going to go no my one way. No love me because I'm monstrous. Exactly. And then Belle's like, there's something out there. I don't know what it is, but like, I'm going to find it. And she's just primed for adventure. Um, and I think there's something about the, that not being accessible within us when we're experiencing shame or having some kind of story that we should be something other than what we really are. Because that story is happening around Belle. People are like, Oh, she should be different. She should conform. She should get her nose out of a book. And she's not buying into that despite mm-hmm. this like influence around her. Yeah. And it's cool because what you're saying is that, that, I mean, I think this is what you're saying is that it's because she's not having that, um, that sort of self, um, sort of looking for self-consciousness basically self-consciousness. Yeah. That she is open to adventure. In fact, that's like her driving force in the world Mm -hmm. is she wants to be having an adventure in the world. In fact, that's what like lets her go out into the world and brave the wilderness and then go, you know, trade her life for her father's Mm -hmm. um, is because she has that sort of current, that desire for adventure. So what ultimately winds up creating it because every, the townsfolk, you can see they, they have a very provincial life. They, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just doing kind of the status quo and there's not a lot going on. Um, and it's really interesting that that is what, like, that's her core driving. And it's because Mm -hmm. she, she's not getting caught up in the stories about what life quote unquote should be. Mm-hmm. that lets us have the rising action in the movie mm-hmm. in the first place. In fact, she, cause she motivates her father to stick with it. He's about to give up. And then she motivates yeah. her father to stick with it. Yeah. Uh, this invention, right. Which I think that's part of it too, is that we've got this, uh, this tension between progress and, uh, you know, um, conservatism mm-hmm. where we have, 
the townsfolk are like laughing at him because he's making, you know, trying to make progress in the world. And he's a scientist and he's like inventing mm-hmm. uh, which, and he actually does. He invents a way to save labor. Yeah. We saw this in the sword yeah. of the stone too, where there's like, oh, I was just thinking about that Tesla documentary that we watched last night oh. of like this intense visionary and yeah. kind of faced with the world not believing in what's possible and kind of how that unfolds for him. Yeah. And, and the practical nature of it and the, you know, the commercial application of it. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the essence of this story is like, it's that tension between the, the masculine and the feminine, the conservative and the progressive, mm-hmm. not in the political sense, although I think that it's related in there, but in the sense <laughs> that we're usually seeing it, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's like, there's a safety in, the known. Mm-hmm. And then there's an unknown that's inherently unsafe that the, there's wolves out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so to, to be the kind of say entrepreneur who risks everything and goes out on that adventure is inherently risky. It's inherently dangerous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's through that, that we can transform society. Cause that's what we wind up seeing. You know, the, yeah. I would, cause we were talking about this. I'm, I'm like, what is with the objectification of the, of the servants? Like why, why did the servants turn into like, they didn't do anything wrong other mm-hmm. than perhaps serve this like outmoded model of the masculine perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right. But why did they get cursed? Why did they get turned into objects? Yeah. And I think that's what it is. I think that the, the outmoded model of the masculine objectifies mm-hmm. the people in the world. Only their only use, their only uh, existence is, Insofar as they are of service, of use, literally objects of use to the the quote unquote master or whatever. And so I think that part of that is going on. I think you made a really good point. Actually, do you want to share that point? Which point? About like why they're, why they're objectified. Oh, I think just in service of the story of how, how do we create a reality where the, the beast transforms when he's as he is, would he be able to do that on his own? And then it's like when there's skin in the game for the whole staff of the castle and they're like nudging him and helping him and invested in this outcome. Um, I think it's just like a, um, like a story, like a tool for the story. And I also think that it transcends like what it looks like in our society. Lately, I've been getting a lot of messages around men's mental health. And that people are starting to really talk about this. I think it started coming up around COVID of men who would go out to bars and that's where they would meet their friends. And then the bars closed and then they found themselves very isolated. And so I think one way of looking at it is, and if there is toxic masculinity, if we allow that to just continue and kind of um, like perpetuate itself there's one outcome and there's also another outcome where people come into that person's reality and start giving them gentle, loving nudges to see things differently. To um, access their feminine. Yeah. To access their feminine. Exactly. And and we see like in the story, literally access the feminine because she's shut up in the room and she doesn't mm. want to come out and he, yeah. he literally can't access her when he's in his monstrous mode. And yeah. it takes Lumiere and Cogsworth to be like, Help it with Cogsworth, not as much. <laughs> Let me Mrs. Potts, for sure. Yeah. Mrs. Potts, yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. like encouraging him to be soft and, you know, and mind your temper. They keep telling him, control your, mm-hmm. control that temper, right? 
that's sort of the the advice. I I, I want to touch on this other thing too because I I heard Tony Robbins one time talk about masculine and feminine in relationship dynamic. And I thought it was mm-hmm. really fascinating to me to think through this lens, but you, you can see this in the story. So, um, so Belle is, is ostensibly, she's literally named for beauty. Okay. A, mm-hmm. Like a, a quote unquote feminine characteristic, but her internal world is very like w- thinking and logical. Mm-hmm. And she's in support of the, you know, the, um, the progress of science and all that stuff. And she's always got, you know, reading and like engaging her mind in the world. So, which is like a very masculine sort of, uh, balance for her beauty. And then we have the beast who is ostensibly very masculine, very rugged, very like monstrous, Mm -hmm. like aggressive, you know, yelling sort of strength is his, his, his core characteristic, Mm -hmm. but he has a very soft, tender center. That's the heart or the rose. Mm-hmm. And his ability to reflect the magic mirror is right next to the rose. And so we have these two, these two people who are um, sort of the, like the, ext- on the outside, they're the extremes of masculine and feminine, but on their insides, they actually are, are balanced within themselves mm-hmm. and they wind up being making a perfect sort of relationship between mm-hmm, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Whereas see, Gaston is only sees Belle for her beauty. And if mm. she was only beauty, then she would be a counterbalance to his pure bravado, pure masculine, whatever, right? Because we're, because what, and this is what, this was Tony Robbins' point. This is a long way of getting to Tony Robbins' point <laughs> is that you will find that the masculine and feminine, they balance in relationships. So if you have mm-hmm. a very strong masculine presence in a relationship, that person will not be attra- that attracted to another really strong masculine presence. Mm-hmm. They will look for a feminine presence man or woman. So if yeah, you have totally. a, a woman who's really strong in, uh, in the masculine and that woman is she like, she'll, she might want a very ma- thinks that she wants a very masculine man, but the, the relationship won't work there because there's too much tension. There's too much masculine in that. Mm-hmm. So we want to find the balance. See Gaston actually would probably be better served with the, the, the three triplets or whatever, who are like, mm-hmm. Oh, he's so, cause they're only concerned with their own beauty. Like we're, we're beautiful. Why doesn't he like us or whatever? Mm-hmm, you see mm-hmm. that dynamic and he would probably be better served there. Belle isn't having any of it because she's already got a strong masculine center mm-hmm. and he is only masculine. And so there's tension. She doesn't, she's not interested in it. There's no like spark. There's no uh, chemistry mm-hmm. that you see with the beast. So I just want to uh, just notice that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted to note, uh, note on this objectification, like, I think that that is the way that we get out of objectification. I don't know if I know if I said this already, but, um, the transformation of the masculine, it, that is how we get out of the objectification of other people is if we have a balanced relationship, either internally, societally, interpersonally, mm-hmm. um, that thing, anything else that you wanted to mention in this as we wind down. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to draw attention to the moment where in the beginning and Belle is talking about <clears throat> getting out of this provincial life and having this sense that of dissatisfaction and there's something bigger and better out there for her. And I want to draw attention to it because I think that people at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey will also experience that this kind of sense of dissatisfaction more than this provincial life 
<laughs> exactly. And so I just, I just want to, I just want to draw attention to it. Like if there, this is like a, a really clear example of a moment in somebody's life and our life where things are like feeling stagnant and there's something out there. And this is, this is a really great time to like notice and start taking action and start stepping into that vision and creating it and getting ready to kind of brave the wild. And that what it takes to do that is this balance of the masculine and the feminine. Right. Okay. Say more. So, because you're, because you're going to, this is like, this is what makes the adventure happen is the balance of the two. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go out there and you're going to face, you're going to brave the wilderness and there's mm-hmm. wolves, there'll be wolves out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the wolves will eat the feminine alone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there'll be, there'll need to be that sort of masculine protective energy around mm-hmm. your dreams, whatever your dreams are. Right. So as you want to go start this thing, like you're going to get no's, you're going to have, mm-hmm. you're going to have pain happen. You're going to have threats come to the idea that you have. Mm -hmm. And without something there, some part of you there to defend it, to defend your dreams, right? To defend that beautiful creative Mm -hmm. force that is inside you, Mm -hmm. it'll be eaten by wolves and you'll never get to see the Totally. And I also think there's something to say about the masculine having the power of a single pointed focus, whereas the feminine has a tendency to be more holistic and take a lot of things into account. And I think that I see people um, in their businesses kind of take a holistic view and want to account for a lot of things and then find themselves very distracted and overwhelmed. And so taking a second to refocus and have one focus and really commit to it in like leveraging the masculine for that in service of the impact that people want to have in the world. Yeah. And the exact opposite is true as well. If we don't, if we don't have the, that sort of creative feminine mm-hmm. quality in the, like the holistic view and the thinking of the mm-hmm. different ways mm-hmm. that something can be brought to life in the world, you'll have yeah. the beast alone in its castle, despondent and alone. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, it, it takes both forces. Totally. To create something in the world. Yeah. Cool. All right. Any other final thoughts? No, I think we covered it all. Thanks so much for talking this out with me. I love going through these Disney movies with you. It's so fun. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really enjoyable conversation. Um, All right. Well, thanks so much for listening out there. Uh, If you have actually, we, we did this one on request. So if you have any requests for Disney movies, let us know. We're, uh, we're happy to, to kind of accelerate things. If you have something that you want us to go through, Uh, it has been lovely to have Let's this just do like page. a really quick shout out to Nate for requesting this. Oh uh, yeah, right on. Thanks, yeah. Nate. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. Um, all right, so uh, live your freedom and love your life. Enjoy the story that you're in. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this: What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.